Last week, we began to consider the doctrine of the Church of God in this series of lessons that we have on Sunday morning of the essential fundamental doctrines of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why do we believe what we believe? What is the revealed will of God for us in this church age? And so we discovered that the church is made up of every individual who's accepted Jesus as their Savior. They are members of the same church that we are. Doesn't matter what name's on the, on the building. If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, that makes you a member of the church. Going to a building with a church name on it doesn't make you a member of the church of God. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ does. And the church at any level belongs to God. Its foundation, its maintenance, its prosperity, it all belongs to God. Not to any one man, not to any one group, but it is the church of God. And so we need to know that we have been called out. That's what the meaning of the name church, that's what it means. It means to be called out or an out calling. We've been called out of darkness and death into light and life. And this is what it means to be a member of of the church. Now, last week I left off by saying that the Bible presents three different analogies to help us understand how the church is to function. And so let's look at those just a little more in depth before we go on. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2 to begin our reading this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 4 and 5, we see that the church is compared to a house, a building, a temple. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. Coming to him as to a living stone, Jesus being the him and that pronoun, coming to Jesus as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, talking to believers, as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, whenever we're given these kinds of analogies in Scripture, there's a reason. There are some things that are similar to a natural house or a natural building that is similar to this spiritual house, the spiritual church of God. A house is built on a foundation that makes it solid. Jesus is that solid foundation. A building is built for a purpose, to house certain people or things and to accommodate certain activities. That's true of natural buildings, right? That's why we're building a new building, so we can hold worship services there. The church of God has a purpose. It's built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It's firm. It is eternal because Jesus is eternal. So the church is is eternal. Let's go to 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15 and see what would be the purpose of the church of God. On the day of Pentecost, the church was born. But to what purpose? And when we look at these fundamental truths about the church of God, it'll help us to stay focused as a local congregation. Why do we come to church? Why, why do we go to the effort to have these meetings? First Timothy 3.15, to, to me, this is one of the most essential reasons for us to be faithful in a local assembly. And the purpose of this local assembly or any local assembly where God's people gather. First. 1 Timothy 3.15, 
But if I am delayed, Paul wrote to Timothy, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. So once again, the comparison, which is the church of the living God. Again, it's his church. So we need to understand his purposes. The pillar and ground of the truth. This is what the church is for. We are to preserve, protect, and proclaim the revealed will of God. To proclaim and, and to be a light and a, a source where people can come to us. Again, not necessarily a building, but the spiritual building, the church, us, can come together that we might share with them, proclaim to them, give them the opportunity to hear what's true. And in this day and age, this modern age in which we live, this is something that is rare. The world today talks about this truth, that truth, your truth, my truth, and all of it is contrary to the truth. The truth of God will never change. It's as eternal as he is. What he declares to be right is right. What he declares to be wrong is wrong. He's the judge of heaven and earth. He's our creator. His truth is the only truth. And so when we talk about truth, we're not talking about the truth of abundant grace fellowship, that we are the only ones that have the truth and we're the source of truth. And so you have to come to us if you want to know the truth. People don't need to know who Doug Crook is. They need to know who Jesus is. They need to know what the Bible says. They don't need to know what, what I think they should do, but they need to know what God has declared to be right for them and good for them, starting with faith in Jesus Christ. This is why we are here. The truth in so many other areas, including within, the, 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 within Christendom, there are so many churches today that say they represent God, and yet much of what they present is contrary to what the Bible to, reveals to be true. They're not doing the will of God. They're not proclaiming truth because they present things that contradict what the Bible declares to be true. And so we are to be faithful to proclaim the truth of the word of God. This is why you should come to a local assembly, that you might hear the truth, that you might learn the truth, and then that you might share it. Let's go to Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2, 20 to 22. Churches today seem to have the, the primary objective of entertaining folks in such a way that it draws the crowds. But that's not our mission. That's not what the church was, was given to do. We are here to educate people in the will of God. Because the will of God is the only thing that's going to transform a life. We need to be transformed. The will of God's going to be the only thing. that The word of God as presented in the Bible is the only thing that's going to give you anchor in this world that is so confused, it's going to give you comfort and guidance and strength to carry on in this life. But more importantly than that, because this life is a vapor and it's quickly gone, the Word of God is the only thing that's going to prepare you to live and reign with Jesus Christ for eternity. This is why God's Word, truth, we are the pillar and the ground of truth. We are the spiritual house of God where people can come to us and hear truth, see truth, how it transforms our lives. Ephesians 2.20. 
having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. That's the solid foundation of the church. In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. We are a temple, a habitation of God. People are to to see in us God when they come to us, not to our building, but to us. Now, when we're in a building, then they can see it in that building, too. But it's us that is the temple of God. Individually, we're the temple of God. But here we also see corporately, we are the temple of God, where people can see in us the reality of the presence and the power of God. That's why we come together. The second analogy that the scripture uses of, of the church is a body. Let's go to Ephesians 1, to 23. Ephesians 1, and 23. There are many references to this analogy in Paul's writings about the church being a body. It, it represents something to us. It teaches us something. And he put all things under his feet. God the Father put all things under the feet of Jesus Christ and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Short little passage, two little verses, but, but wow, such enormous, infinite truth found here. We are the spiritual body of Jesus Christ. He is the head. This analogy describes for us both our relationship to Jesus Christ as well as to one another. First of all, he's, he's the head of this body. He, he's the mind. He tells us what to do and how to do it. He has every right to do it. He's the mind. He's the head of this body. And every member, we are connected to one another. And again, what, what do the different members of the body do? They minister to each other. They are, they are all connected in such a way that, that they can't be separated. And they, are, they exist for the purpose of helping each other. When we come together as a local assembly, that's one of the privileges, opportunities, and responsibilities that we have, is to care for one another, to encourage one another. And, and encourage to do what? Just to feel good? No. It, we're not here just to give pep talks. We're here to encourage and give health, spiritual health to one another, that we might all do the will of the head, that we might do his will. That's what a body does. My body does what needs to be done. What I want to do, what my will is, my, my body has to do. That's the way we are to function as well. We're, we don't belong to ourselves. Our lives are not ours to live by ourselves, for ourselves. We're to live for Jesus. And in living for Jesus, we're going to live for one another. You see what a selfless life it is when you understand you are a member of the body of Christ, a member of the church of God. The church is also compared to a family. Ephesians 2.19. Ephesians 2.19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. A family. What's a family all about? Well, we have a common heritage. We all have the same father. We all have the same big brother. We are to exist to, to bring glory to our father, not to bring him shame, but to live in such a way that people see that we serve a heavenly father 
who is benevolent, merciful, all-knowing, all-wise, the God of all comfort, the God of all grace, do do they see that in us individually and as we come together as an assembly? Is there that, that unity as there is in a family that functions as it should? Now, like a family, there's always differences. There's going to be problems that arise. Happens in families, doesn't it? But for those that understand that connection that can never be broken, we're going to do whatever is necessary to bring glory to the Father. Not to have our way, not to demand that everybody acknowledge us, but that we might all bring glory to our Father. John 1, verses 12 and 13. We've been given the right. I'll just give you the, the truth found there in, in John 1, 12 and 13. We've been given the right and the authority to be called children of God, the sons of God, not by our will, but by the will of God. It was the almighty creator whose will it was to make me his child. And just in the natural, I had nothing to do with the decision for me to be born. <laughs> that was out of my hands. Same is true with my spiritual life. I'm saved today. I'm a child of God because God wanted to give me that ability, that privilege to be his own. And now we need to live. I have his nature. We all have his nature. If you've accepted Jesus as your savior, you've been given the divine nature of your father. Now learn to yield to that nature and to bring glory and honor to him. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verses 1 to 3, we see that wherever believers in Jesus Christ meet, there the church is. Now, it's not the whole church, obviously, but we represent the whole church. We are to represent what the entire body is to represent. This is why Paul, in 1 Corinthians 1 and verses 1 to 3, Paul refers to a gathering of saved people as the church in that local place, a local assembly. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, through the will of God, and Sothenus, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. So he, he qualifies who the church is. Called saints. You'll notice in, in the English, a lot of your English translations have to be saints. And that's in italics in most of your versions. That's because it's not in the original. Called saints. Not someday to be saints, but they've been set apart. Remember, that's what church is. It's a calling out, a setting apart. With all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so a local assembly is the church, representing the entire church. And the church is made up of not It's not a reference to a building. It's not even a reference to a mixed group of individuals that come to that building. It's to all that are sanctified in Jesus Christ, those that are saved. And so there are many that today are assembling in a church building who do not belong to the church of God. Now, others in that building may actually belong to the church because they've accepted Jesus as their Savior. But the church is made up of the sanctified, those that are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. As we continue our our series of lessons and we get to rewards, 
will understand that our relationship, my relationship with my Father, and my fellowship with my Father and with my Savior is individual. Rewards are given to individuals, not to assemblies. Now, we'll, we'll see that there are some judgments that fall on assemblies, and there are benefits from assemblies that, that are full of individuals that want the will of God. But as far as rewards are concerned, it's individual. You can't, you can't gain a crown for me. I can't gain a crown for you. I'm, I'm your pastor. You come, you're willing to sit and listen to me. I, that's, that's not going to win you a crown. You individually have to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you and transform you. That's individual. And yet, because we are a house, with, we're separate stones. We're individual stones. But we are placed together. And I, I often say that when, when individuals, uh, they come and they, they feel a part of the, the church and the, uh, the assembly. And I often say, I'm glad that God put us together. I didn't choose it. You didn't choose it. God directs us together. And I'm glad he put us together. We're individuals. We're accountable for our life to the Lord. You can't be accountable for my life. I can't be accountable for yours, at least in, in, in the same measure of an individual accountability. But we're placed together to be strengthened, to strengthen one another. When in this building project, I've been reminded, I've been in construction all my life, but all the many details of a building, it, it's, it's incredible. Every detail impacts another detail down the line somewhere. This is why each of us need to surrender our life wholly and fully to the Lord so that we serve the purpose God intended for us to serve in this local assembly. For his glory, for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're members of the same body. We need each other. And this actually brings us to the first thing that is important for a church, for the church. Acts 2 verses 1 to 4. Many Christians today and all of the surveys you see out there, both religious surveys and secular surveys, tell you that here in the United States, church attendance is in decline as never before. People don't want to come to church. And you look at our society and, and that has really been helpful, has it not? Our our society has gotten so much better now that we've gotten out of that old, dusty church. Going together, assembling together as God's people. No, things are not getting better. We need to get back to the old path. The church, those that are saved, those that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, need to assemble together. That's not, Brother Doug, as a pastor saying, I want these pews filled so I feel good about myself. I need to assemble with you. You need to assemble with others that have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because God has revealed it to be his will. We need each other. Acts 2, 1 to 4. On the day of Pentecost, the church was born. And we read these words. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So there is a gathering. There is an assembly that needs to take place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
Now jump down to verse 42 of Acts 2. Acts 2.42. After the church was born, baptized, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. They constantly, steadfastly, faithfully gathered together for the purpose of learning the teaching of those that Jesus had called and anointed to share the truth of the gospel. It's the will of God that God's people assemble together so that we can learn what our Father's will is from his word. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. And we need to do this not only for our own spiritual health. So many today think that, well, I can be a good Christian and I can do what I need to do without always going to church, as they would, again, our vocabulary. Not always correct, but that's what we say. The old timers, my great grandpa used to say, we're going to meeting. (laughs) Not to church, but we're going to meeting. And that's probably a more correct way to say it. But without making an issue to try to correct everybody's vocabulary, I need to gather together with you for my own spiritual health. Yes, I can pray at home. I better pray at home. I can read my Bible at home. I better read my Bible at home. But there's something about gathering together. And if COVID didn't teach us anything, it taught us that. It's not the same listening to a podcast. I thank God for the tools he's given so others can hear this gospel. I thank God for those. I'm going to use them. But it's not the same as gathering together where the presence of the Lord is and the Spirit is there to minister to us as a body. We need to gather. Not only for myself, but you need to gather for the one next to you. How many have come and there's an empty seat here and there? And it can be a little discouraging, can it? The enemy is good about making it a source of discouragement for us. I need to come for you. Well, yeah, I'm the pastor. I should come. You need to come for me. You need to come for the one next to you. For their good. Not, not for their glory, but for their good. For the glory of the head. To encourage others in the will of God. So that they function in the body as they ought to function. So they function as an individual. In a way that glorifies God. That glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews ten twenty four and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So when you wake up Sunday morning and you don't feel like coming just because you don't feel like it. There's always reasons, legitimate reasons. The Lord may lead you to do other things and take vacations. And there are reasons for you to not assemble on a certain day. But when it's just a decision, I don't want to go. Just don't feel like it. Not sick. That's when you need to consider someone else. But what if somebody needs me today? What if somebody's having a a trial in a situation where they just need somebody to listen to them and to pray with them? Let us consider someone else, one another, that we might stir them up for what? There's a purpose for our encouraging one another. It is to do the good works that God has called us to do. We've been preordained to walk in. We need to encourage one another in those things. And if that's true, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, or 
Nowadays we can say many. But exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Isn't that interesting? All the surveys tell us that those that consider themselves Christians are no longer attending a local assembly. They won't feel the need. It's not necessary. That makes me understand that there are few that are truly looking for the coming of the Lord. Jesus is coming. We don't know when, but because we don't know when, we are to daily live in expectation of the coming of the Lord. And if you truly believe Jesus is coming, you're going to make every effort. Again, within the will of God, there there are many reasons why you may not be able to attend. That's This is not a, a legal sermon. I'm not asking you to punch a clock. I'm asking you simply to understand these exhortations from your father about how important it is for us to gather together in the name of Jesus as the people of God, looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, reminding ourselves that Jesus is coming. Well, I think we'll stop there this morning. We'll continue to consider the mission and the message of the church and therefore the local assembly that represents that church. So let's stand as we sing a song in closing.